Why don't you pull out a Bible, whether that's on your phone or one physical that you brought from home or even the Bible that you can find in the pews, and open to Luke chapter 10. That will be one of our primary texts this morning as we wrap up our series on rhythms as we think about God's design for spiritual transformation. But as we prepare to dive into this morning in our text, there's one question that has kind of been really sitting on my heart. Uh, This whole week, as I was away on retreat, which it sounds like it's really restful, which it was, but I was also sitting in class after class, and each class was two hours, and there were three a day. So it's, it's got its, it's a little, you know, it's a lot, right? But there's one question that just kind of kept coming up on my heart, especially as I was preparing for this morning. And I'm going to ask this question, and then I want you to sit on it for a second. And think about it before we go too much further. And that question is, how do you define the Christian life? How do you define the Christian life? And so I'm just going to let you sit on that for just a second and think about that question. How do you define the Christian life? not sure what thoughts went through your head, how you define it. There was a time in my life that I might have defined the Christian life as following a certain set of rules, being obedient to God, following His commands. There's a lot of ways in which we might run through our head this definition of the Christian life. But I'd like to offer this morning a single definition that I think covers any other thought that we possibly could have had and also goes far beyond it. The way that I would now define the Christian life is this. The Christian life is an ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
for note takers, I will say that one more time. The Christian life is an ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. It is ongoing, it is relational, and it is intimate. And we've covered a little bit of that language last week when we were talking about the rhythm of prayer and the level of intimacy that is required for us to step into prayer when we are trying to get with the Lord. And we've been talking all along that these rhythms that we are establishing in our life are inherently intentional. They are regular touch points to generate relational intimacy with God. Everything we've talked about with our rhythms over the past several weeks is simply to create intentional, regular touch points to generate relational intimacy with God. So rhythms are the Christian life. But actually, what we had said is that rhythms are the way in which God has designed us for spiritual transformation. Well, if rhythms are the way in which we create intentional, regular touch points to God, where we're in relational intimacy with Him, then spiritual transformation happens in the context of relational intimacy. It is in knowing God that we are actually transformed. We are not transformed by any amount of work that we do, by any amount of effort that we put in, by trying to stick to some sort of regimented schedule other than allowing the rhythms of our life to generate intentional and regular touch points of relational intimacy with God. And so, in other words, if you want to grow, you have to go to Jesus all the time. If you want to grow, you have to go to Jesus all the time. It can't just be on Sunday mornings. It can't just be in your crisis moments. It just can't be when you're suffering or when you're hurt or when you're in need of healing. But to grow means to go to Jesus all the time. And so if we're supposed to live out this Christian life of ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus and we've been talking about these rhythms, the question is, so how do I really do that? How do I incorporate these rhythms into my life so that my relationship with Jesus can grow? A long, long, long time ago, a whole bunch of monks created something, what they call the rule of life. The rule of life. And that word rule actually comes from the Greek word for trellis. And if you're a gardener or in landscaping, you know that a trellis is 
kind of like this fence thing. It's like, you know, a whole bunch of X's. That's just how I think about it. It's just a whole bunch of X's laid on top of each other. And a trellis is this place where vines are growing up it, right? And what's so interesting is that without a trellis, vines will grow wherever they want to. And they will overtake and choke out everything else if they aren't directed by a trellis. But a trellis inherently gives a space and a place where those vines can grow upward. And as they grow upward, they become more productive and more fruitful. Specifically thinking about grapevines. As Jesus used the grapevine as a continual language throughout his teaching. And so to have some of the most productive grapevines, you have to create a trellis in which those vines can grow upward and then branch out to bear the most amount of fruit. But without a trellis, those grapevines just grow on the ground. They don't grow up, and therefore they can't produce fruit. And so that same word in the Greek for trellis is the word that we use for rule. And so a rule of our life is a trellis for our spiritual practices. Allowing them to grow upward and to be more productive and fruitful in our lives. is a place for us to grow. I love that Jesus used that language. But let us open our scripture this morning to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. And I think this is going to open our eyes a little bit to what it means to develop a rule of life and maybe some of the challenges that come along the way. And behold, a scholar of the law stood up and was putting him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. Well, as I read this passage the first thing that I can't help noticing is that this scholar of the law, and let us be clear that this is Jewish law, speaking of Torah, speaking of the commandments, speaking of the law of God that we can find in Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus and Deuteronomy, not of like judicial law. But he stands up, and the, what he wants to do in this moment is to put Jesus to the test. To put Jesus to the test. 
And I have to ask myself, how often, Austin, do you put the Lord to the test? How often do you want signs and answers and responses to questions? How often do you put him to the test in order to get some sort of specific response? And usually when you're testing the Lord, it's because you have an outcome you want. You're seeking God for your will, not for his will. And I think often I find myself in this place of, Lord, I'm going to test you today. I want to see if you're going to bless what I want or if you're going to bless what you want. And so I'm challenged. But what I love is as much as we can try to challenge the Lord, he loves to challenge us right back. And you can see throughout all of the Gospels that the way that Jesus responds to questions is with more questions. And so what is this test that this scholar is trying to put before Jesus? Well, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Before we go too much farther, we have to understand what eternal life is. Because when you hear eternal life, you probably jump immediately to some conclusions about what that means. You're probably thinking the afterlife. You're probably thinking of heaven. You're probably thinking of going to a place that Jesus has prepared for you, a place of many rooms. You're thinking of a place that you go to after death. But that's actually an interesting and very Western way of thinking of eternal life. A very Greek way of thinking about eternal life. But it's not a Greek that is asking the question. It is a Jew. And so how would a Jew understand that word or phrase, eternal life? Well, I love what Marty Solomon says about this. He says, for the Westerner, for the Greek thinker, eternal life is something detached from this world. It's something that starts when this world is over. When I die, eternal life begins. But for an Easterner, So, for example, a Jew. Eternal life is in this world, in every world that could possibly exist anywhere. Eternal life is a quality of life, not a quantity of life. It's life lived in harmony with God in whatever world you could find yourself in, in whatever dimension, anywhere. Whenever you are living in harmony with God, you have eternal life. The word in the Hebrew is actually olam haba, or in Greek, ayon zoe. And both in Hebrew and in Greek, these are qualitative terms. They are not quantitative. They are definitely qualitative terms. What that means is that it's not about a linear life, 
It's about a kind of life that we're experiencing, a kind of life that goes on forever, the kind of life that always has been and always will be because it is true. And that's just a different way to think about life. And so when the scholar of the law is asking Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? He's not asking, when I die, how do I get to be with God in heaven? But in fact, he is asking, how can I live right now that is in harmony with God? And I would love to define harmony with God with our definition of the Christian life. How can I live so that I am in an ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ? That's the question. How do I live so that I can be in an ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ? That is eternal life which also happens to be the Christian life, which happens to be a life lived now and not later. And so Jesus asks him, well, how do you write? How do you read it? How do you define it? And I think this is what happens when we test Jesus. He's going to throw it right back to us because he loves us. And the reality is that we already have the answer we just usually don't like the answer that we have. In fact, there's a process called life coaching. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've gone through it. Maybe you're a life coach yourself. But the objective of being a coach is not to give answers. It's to ask questions so that the person that is seeking life coaching would find the answers within themselves. And that's a lot like what Jesus does with us and what he's doing with the scholar. And so he says, well, how do you read it? I'm going to put it back on you. What do you think the answer is? And the scholar responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, for those of us that are Christians and have been walking with the Lord and have been in church, we probably recognize that as the greatest commandment and the second that is like it. The greatest commandment and the second that is like it, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and all of your mind. And the second like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we know this scripture. And the scholar knew this scripture. But he was still asking the question, how do I live a life in harmony with God? And then he repeats this scripture as Jesus asked him, well, how do you read it? And the challenge here now is he knows the answer. But is he willing to live that answer out? And that becomes the challenge for us today when it comes to creating a rule of life. That's the challenge today when it comes to us living out the Christian life. 
to live out this life in harmony with God, to live out this ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus. Because we know that this scripture is true. Because God has repeated it in many, many places. But the challenge to us is, though we know it's true, are we willing to live it out? Let me think, let's think about it in this way. If I want to get stronger in my body, I have to exercise. I probably have to do some sort of resistance training, whether that's calisthenics, which is just using my own body weight, or going to a gym and lifting weights. If I want to build muscle, I have to do certain exercises that target that muscle in order to grow it, in order to make it stronger. Well, just like we have to do exercises in order to strengthen our muscles and our body, there are also certain exercises that we can do to strengthen our love, particularly our love of God. We cannot grow in our relationship with the Lord if we aren't willing to also put in the exercises necessary to love God. And he puts that in four categories. Our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. I really love what Ruth Haley Barton says about this. She says, we think that somehow we fall into transformation by accident. We think that we're just going to grow in our love of God in heart, soul, strength, and mind by accident. That is just something that can occur naturally. That I can love God more simply by doing nothing to actually exercise my love of God. But the scholar knows that is not true. And yet he's trying to challenge Jesus to find out if there's another way that he can live in harmony with God without having to live out the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 together as well. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses has already given the law to the people of God, and he's about to give the law again to them to remind them the Ten Commandments that God gave him at the top of Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy, it's referred to as Mount Horeb. They're the one and the same. But in this space, Moses is standing before the people and he's reminding the people how they live this out. And so in verse 9, he says this, Only keep yourself and keep your soul very carefully, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. 
You see, Moses, in preparing the people of God to establish right rhythms in their life, tell them very plainly, you must keep it. And that word keep can be translated to watch over and to guard. It is something that you do continually for yourself and for your soul. And it's not just something that you do nonchalantly. He says, do it very carefully. Be very attentive to these things. Because you know what happens when you aren't attentive? They, lest they depart from your heart. You forget. Lest you forget all the things which your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. I had a youth pastor growing up who used to say this. He says, if you are not intentionally growing, you are unintentionally declining. If you are not intentionally growing, you are unintentionally declining. We are called to an ongoing relationship of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we have to be very attentive to ourselves and to our souls to make sure that we are doing the exercises necessary that our love for God will grow instead of decline. And that's where we come today. To this final sermon of rhythms, it's about creating a rule of life. Creating a trellis for our spiritual disciplines to grasp a hold of and to grow so that they may become more fruitful and more productive and that we can see our love for God increase all the more. So Ruth Haley Barton offers this for a rule of life. She says, a rule of life seeks to respond to two questions. Who do I want to be? And how do I want to live? Actually, it might be more accurate to say that a rule of life seeks to address the interplay between these two questions. How do I want to live so that I can be who I want to be? How do I want to live so that I can be who I want to be? In other, in other words, to create a rule of life is to create for yourself a way of living so that you can become the person that you see in the future. And so if you want a really close and intimate relationship with God, if you want to see yourself living out the Christian life to the full, then you have to ask yourself, what do I have to do now to live in order to get there? In order to live out the Christian life, what do I need to do now in order to get there? What are the exercises I need to pick up in order to exercise the muscles of my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind to love God? What does that look like? What does that mean? And we've talked about that throughout this series, these different practices that you could be 
incorporating into your life. We've talked about fellowship, breaking bread with one another, with Christians across the table, and sharing heart together. We've talked about ways in which you can worship the Lord, gathering together, observing Sabbath and keeping Sabbath faithfully, saying, hey, there's going to be a day where I do not work and I rest for the Lord. We've talked about the importance of prayer last week, what it looks like to develop an intentional prayer, prayer life with God, to say, I'm willing to communicate with you and commune with you that you might communicate back to me. And there are so many different spiritual disciplines that you can incorporate. And part of my hope and what I think the Lord is calling to be kind of a theme for this year is what does it look like to keep being exposed to all these different ways in which we can build upon our rule of life. And so maybe 2024 just becomes a rule of life building exercise for all of us. But as you build your rule of life, there are some key things that I want you to keep in mind. Because I'm not going to just throw a whole bunch of things out at you and say this is what you should do. Because it doesn't work like that. Because for one, a rule of life has to be personal. There are going to be things that work for you that do not work for me. And there are going to be things that work for me that will not work for you. For example, I'm a prolific journaler. I love to sit down and write and write and write out my thoughts to God and then write out his thoughts back toward me. You might hate writing. Then I don't recommend journaling. That would be a very, very bad thing for you to do because you're going to come to that place to journal and you're going to loathe it. And out of loathing a practice, your heart will actually turn away from God, which is not what we want. So first, it's going to be personal. The other thing is it has to be realistic. You have, to, you have to realistically approach a rule of life. You can't be like, you know what, Lord? Every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to just spend five hours in prayer. That might be realistic for some people. That's not realistic for me. Maybe one day, but that's not where I'm at in life right now. For parents raising kids, that's not realistic to get away for five hours and leave your children unattended. I don't recommend it, especially if you want a house that is at least semi-put together and kids that are safe. So it has to be realistic. It has to be balanced. There has to be a balance in all the things that you're doing. You have to be able to recognize when you can step in and when you can step out, which also plays into the idea of flexibility. Your rule of life has to be flexible. It has to bend with your life. So like for me, for example, over the last two weeks, I'm traveling. And so there are some certain aspects of my personal 
rule of life that has to bend to the fact that I'm traveling and there are certain things that I can't do while I'm going to and from and then I might find ways to incorporate something else because I'm traveling. And so your rule of life has to become flexible to life. It can't be rigid. Because if it's rigid, you risk it breaking. A great example of this is actually, I I learned this recently. Do you know why builders use nails when they're building the frame of a house rather than screws? Because screws will shear and snap and break. And so any movement in the house, any fluctuation in the foundation, those screws will snap at any sheer force against them. But nails, nails can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and never break. Your rule of life has to be like a nail, not like a screw. It's got to be flexible. It's got to be able to bend with you. And so once you start putting it together, you need to cultivate it. It's, it's, it's a cultivation, sorry, not as soon as you put it together. Part of putting, to, putting it together is a cultivation practice. So what does cultivate mean? Well, the way that I think of cultivation is it's a non-rushed, a non-immediate and a very attentive practice. So if I'm trying to grow something, if I'm trying to cultivate a plant, I have to know that it's not going to be a rushed process. I have to know that I'm not going to get immediate results, but I have to pay meticulous attention to it, which sounds like all things that I hate. And yet, to live out a rule of life means exactly that. You know, I didn't really understand that, like, trees that fruit, like apple trees and lemon trees, like, it could actually be like three years before you get its first fruit. Three years I planted a seed, a tree grows, and then I still have to wait three years before fruit actually comes from it. But all along the way, you have to keep watering it. You have to keep pruning it. You have to keep doing all the things so that in that third year, it bears fruit. Building a rule of life is a cultivation practice. It's a cultivation practice. You can't expect immediate results. You're not going to go into prayer tomorrow and have everything answered. You're not going to read the scripture tomorrow evening and all of a sudden be given all the wisdom of God. It's a cultivation, and it's lifelong. But here's the good news. That practice of cultivation is already placing you right in the middle of the Christian life. Because you are practicing an ongoing 
relationship of intimacy with Jesus. And so you're already there, even if you don't yet see the results that you hoped. That's what I love about this process that I'm finding in my own life. And so as a part of this cultivation practice, you're going to reevaluate your rule of life because you're going to go through different seasons. And different seasons require different things. Sometimes the bush needs to be covered with a tarp so that it doesn't get frozen. Other times, you need to pull that tarp back so that the sunlight can reach it, so it can go into photosynthesis. Different practices for different seasons of your life. One season, you might find that journaling is the thing, and the next season, you might be, that's not for me. And that's okay. That's the cultivation process. And so what I want to do is quickly, I'm just going to give you my example This isn't for you to copy, for you to take home and say, I have to do it Austin's way, but so that you understand how a rule of life has been built for me and how it's changed, because there are some things that I've taken away and some that I've added. So daily, so every day, I practice prayer and journaling, I read scripture, and I practice silence Solitude and stillness. Which means when I first wake up, I get up, I leave my phone on the nightstand because I don't want to start my day with technology, I want to start it with the Lord. And I do not open my mouth and make any sounds for the first hour. I try to stay silent. I try to calm my entire body and sit in stillness for five minutes, not the whole time. I'm ADD. I can't stay sitting that long. But that's what works for me. Maybe you can sit still for an hour. I don't know. Maybe you can't at all. The second thing I do is weekly, I do an examine, which means on Fridays, I look at my entire week, and I ask two primary questions, one of desolation and one of consolation. Desolations are, God, where didn't I notice you this week? God, what is a sin that I need to be acknowledging this week? But the consolation is, God, where did I see you this week? God, what were you doing in my life this week? How were you helping me grow? And so doing a weekly examine helps me look back and not forget. Lest I forget what my eyes have seen and what I know. I have to go back. And then each week I practice a Sabbath. Many of you know, I don't take phone calls or answer emails on Fridays. And there are a lot of you that try to get a hold of me on Fridays, and I'm sorry. I'll get to you on Saturday. (laughs) But Fridays are my day to rest from all work and to make it a day for God. Every month, I take an extended time of silence and solitude. So each month, I pick one day, and I go and just be alone with God for six hours. 
and it's just him and me, and I'm alone, and I don't let anything distract me. I'm completely free from technology, and I just be with God. That's once a month for six hours. And then every quarter or so, I go on a retreat for spiritual formation. So I'm with others, helping me discern the process of what it looks like to grow in the Lord. And then this one might be surprising to you, but every year, to take a vacation. Because vacationing is actually, another word for it is to take some recreation time. But when you think about what recreation is, it is recreating. You're allowing the, the Lord to renew within you the creative process of what it looks like to delight in Him. God created us also to enjoy the things that He has provided in this world. So vacation well. So that's what it looks like for me. And so over this next year, my hope is that we would walk with one another and help each other create our own rules of life so that we may see what the Lord is doing and how he wants each and every one of us to live out the Christian life and to be in harmony with God. That we may experience eternal life now as a qualitative practice and not whenever we go see the Lord face to face in our passing. So let's live for him now and see what he does in our lives. Because over the last year, I've been on this journey and it's changed me. And my hope and prayer for you is that it would change you. And that you would learn to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, you have prepared a trellis before us, an opportunity of growth for spiritual transformation. Lord, I ask that you would lead and guide each of our hearts and that we would prayerfully consider how to create our own rule of life. What are the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly practices that you would like us to embrace so that we can intentionally grow in intimacy with you? Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.